You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Hello, I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Welcome to the show. This is the first episode that I've recorded here at the Adelaide Fringe Festival. Here is Heath Franklin. Heath Chopper Franklin, as you're going by these days, or as I noticed on the board outside the Vagabond Theatre last night, it's just Chopper. Yeah, yeah. You're sort of known as Chopper. I mean, I've seen you, you took shows to Edinburgh over the last few years. Yeah, I did, uh, well, I did last year and 2007 as mm. well. And 2007, I mean, when I first started, I um, was basically really lucky. I went from being a uni student doing reviews and things like that, sketch okay. shows. And then, um, yeah, we got picked up for a TV show. I did two seasons of television. It was like, all right, what do we do now? Okay, doing doing a review show, doing like a sketch show with a uni. Yeah, yeah. What, what was that show. called? What was the uh, sketch show? It was called the Ronnie John's Half Hour. Okay. Um, well, the long form name was the Ronnie John's Good Times Campfire Jamboree Half Hour Show now on television. Okay. But, um, yeah, and so I was sort of this thing after doing sort of sketch and television, very lucky to be, you know, sure. on TV. Kind of plucked and thrown into it. Yeah, yeah, and that, now my assumption is that getting TV shows is really easy, but I've learned that's not quite <laughs> yeah, the case. Sure. But um, yeah, and so it was sort of like, well, what, what do you do now? And you know, touring some sort of character off the back of the show, and Chopper was always quite popular. And so he was—he was started off as a character you're doing on the show. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. I, okay. start, I first did it back at uni in 2003, or something like that. But yeah, so then off the back of that, I was like, all right, let's, I've got to learn how to do stand-up. I've got to write a stand-up show okay. and learn how to do stand-up so I can sort of keep working. And um, yeah, so in 2007, when I went over to Edinburgh, it was such a kind of, it was basically a one-man sketch show in character, really. It was okay. a series of PowerPoint presentations and little okay. bits and stuff. That was, was that, that was Harden the Fuck Up Australia? Yeah, yeah. That was the one, okay. Yeah, I remember the publicity for it at the time. Yeah, yeah. But... Um, yeah, and it was quite odd because I didn't. I could people would be like, "Do you want to do a ten minute spot?" I, mean, I, I honestly don't have, you know, the breadth of material to do a ten minute spot. There's nothing I can pull from the show without like an overhead projector. So okay. So I thought I'd lay low on Edinburgh for about five years and just take it easy and okay. you know get better at what I was doing. And, um, and yeah, so I decided the rematch was last year. Went back and gave it another crack and. Okay. Yeah, I felt considerably more comfortable sort of sure. you know, introducing myself as a stand-up. To yeah, I mean, you're, the first I saw of you was a couple of nights ago at the Rhino Room, and I was, I mean, I having, how can I say this? I, at Edinburgh, I saw the premise of the show, it's an Aussie bloke doing Chopper, and I thought to myself, it's not going to be stand-up. I thought it's going to be a character. I did, you know what I mean? I did, and, it, and it seems it's quite an odd character. It's quite an odd proposition because it's based on a live human yeah, who exists yeah. you know that's quite an odd sort of an idea so I had no idea when I saw you come on stage to do Chopper at, at the Rhino Rooms the other night that you were going to be such a good stand-up comic because your your ability to get a topic and pull it apart and unpack it and get all the jokes out of it was really I mean I was genuinely really impressed so how did that start like what was the what was the transition between you doing Chopper as a, as a character to you doing it as a, as a stand-up? Well, obviously, you know, timing-wise, you just said, but, but in terms of the actual work you were doing, in terms of the writing you were doing for it? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it was just, uh, just you know, flying time, really, just spending hours out there doing shows and, and getting better at it. And, and as I said, it was a sort of departure from sketch style. 
performance to um, to stand up. But it was like, all right, well, I can't if I can't do this at a club, I'm not going to bother writing it down. You know what I mean? It's got to get to the point where. I okay. can do 10 or 15 minutes here and do stand-up. But then also throw back to some other sketch stuff too, like PowerPoint presentations, just to sort of break up the show. Give it a bit of format. Like and, yeah, yeah, to work around. Okay. And uh, I, like, I'd, I'd, I always seem to have like list gags in my show. We just have a long list of kind of just a great sort of serving device. Sure. So it's like, you know... This oh, like your list of lists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, gotcha. And so okay. you can, you've got something... And uh, you can sort of generate your own response to it, you know what I mean? Okay. But, um, yeah, and, and so beyond that, I don't know. I think I just learned to sort of trust my instincts after a while. You know, you, I, the way I do most of my writing is I kind of get a topic. I go, there's lots there. That's, yeah. you know, it's obviously pretty laid and true. And uh, just sort of know what you know what you feel about it what your opinion is or just know that you have an opinion yeah and get out on stage and let it unravel sure a little bit at a time you know sure I mean? so because um, it is your stuff is really attitude based and we, we talk more about the, the character at the moment and the, the way that character becomes a mouthpiece for it but do you in the actual creation of the material are you writing stuff down beforehand and then taking it on stage or are you coming up with a concept and then just improvising and writing I mean you said if you know if I can't do it on stage, it's not good enough to write down. Yeah. So you're yeah. coming at it that way around. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't even write that much stuff out. Like, I'll, I'll be walking down the street, and it'll be, I don't know, this is a horrible example, sort of a phenomenon like anal bleaching, right? Okay. Which is, you know, it's it's very bizarre. Sure. And so all you have to do, I find, is feel strongly about it, mm-hmm. and surprise yourself on stage. And you know the only real option you've got is to try to improvise your way out of out of the corner kind of thing. Sure. So, yeah, that's what I find. You know, and obviously you don't go out with a full hour of improv because that's sure. insanity. You need a bit of a backbone. But um, and yeah, and just let material slowly accumulate over time. Okay. And so you, you sometimes you do a bit for a year, and then you finally come up with the ultimate punchline for it. You know, sure. like, why? Where was that a year? Okay. Ago, you know? Okay. So you don't. So the stuff never becomes set. It never becomes fixed. It's your. You kind of hit the same topics. You maybe hit some of the same notes, but you're always improvising. Yeah. Well, there's. I mean, there's sometimes that you sort of you do material enough, and it, it sort of pads itself out enough naturally. Sure. That you kind of you know almost becomes muscle memory. You hit the same notes every night, and okay. you end on the same bits and stuff like that. But then you know you'll be doing it in a club somewhere a year later. And, you're like, and it just comes to you, you know. You sort mm-hmm. of once again, it's that natural kind of through line of logic it just appears and goes. By the way, this is what you should have been saying the whole time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So your well, let's let's go back before we get more specific about the writing. Let's just go back a bit to you pre comedy. So okay. you were doing part of a sketch show at university. Had you had leanings towards? doing comedy before were you like a funny guy amongst your mates or what was your what was your drive to try it in the first place yeah I mean I was always uh, you know I was always a guy on detention at school for making comments and stuff like that and um, that's so very <laughs> <Same God about. laughs> um, yeah and I, I remember one there was a point when my teacher who was a you know pretty good guy pulled me aside and it was like look the big problem is it's not the interrupting it's just that when you interrupt it's actually quite funny so I'll make yeah. a deal with you um, you're allowed one per class <laughs> okay and so okay. that was that was a sort of yeah a, a moment where I was like alright I've got to sort of channel this a little bit and you know exercise a bit of self control that's an incredible thing for a teacher to say yeah and, and that was one of those things where you sort of have one of those moments where you're like well, maybe maybe I'm more than just a smart ass, you know what I mean? And, and okay. um, yeah, and then at university, I got involved in the drama society and I was studying law because I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And then after sort of three years of almost failing law classes because of my kind of commitments to plays and, mm-hmm. you know, sketch reviews and things like that, it was just sort of didn't make sense anymore. It was like, well, I can, you know, I think there was even one moment where I was sitting in a, a law lecture and I looked around and I hate all these people. I can't. Yeah, right. I just cannot spend the rest of my life with them. And um, what was it that drew you to law? Was it the idea of being able to be a professional smartass? Was it that idea of? I mean, I think that's. I, I know a couple of comics who come from a law background or thought that they were going to become lawyers. I wonder if there's a link there between you know public speaking and 
wet and yeah, you know, wanting yeah. to win or something. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that. I mean, I, I have to admit, for the most part, for me, it was like, you know, you get the marks for something, you do it. Mm-hmm. So I sort of finished high school, I got the marks for law. And, you know, if you get the right marks for law, you don't do arts. That's... Sure. It's just not... Yeah, 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 yeah. I suppose so, yeah. So the sort of the decision was made for me, really. Like, I sort of, you know, you put your preferences up and it's like rocket scientist, brain surgeon, mm-hmm. you know, law degree. And I sort of, yeah, fell into the category for law. But, um, yeah, so I, it, it was just sort of... I guess, you know, you come out of a, a private school. That's what's done. You get the marks for law, you do law mm-hmm. and... And then hopefully by the time you're 35, you don't completely hate yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Fingers crossed. (laughs) I really enjoyed this conversation with Heath. Uh, I think he's a fantastic stand-up and I I, I really think we get a very interesting perspective on character comedy from a very unusual angle. Uh, I've not had enough character comedians on the show and this reminds me to get some more on. I'll do that in due course. Perhaps you could send me your suggestions, uh, as always, to info at comedianscomedian.com we've got loads more Aussie and international acts coming up uh, and because I'm at a festival I'm trying to whiz through this very fast so there's a little bit less banter in the middle uh, and we'll crack straight back to it if you are in Australia and you're near Adelaide you can come and see me performing in the Bulmers Best of Edinburgh Fest at the Governor Hindmarsh uh, and the same show with a slightly different lineup. with uh, it's me and Jimmy McGee and then Tom Allen will be replacing the brilliant Carl Donnelly um, they're, they're all brilliant I don't know why I said that uh, we've been calling him Carl Madonnelly because he's such a diva a uh, slightly different lineup is coming to the Melbourne International Comedy Festival at the Capitol Theatre, so do come and say hello if you're in town. Um, and another reminder that if you would like to pay me back for all the editing and faffing and endless bloody talking that goes into this show, you can vote for this show to win a Chortle Award by following the link at www.chortle.co.uk. You can vote for loads of brilliant stand-ups, your individual tours, comedy clubs and so on. But remember to put your vote in for this show to win the Internet Award, even if it isn't actually your favourite. I mean, the shows I'm up against are all properly good podcasts, so do check them out if you haven't already. But, and this, this really is crucial, I can't stress this enough, listen to them after you've already voted for The Comedian's Comedian. There is just no sense in getting yourself all muddled up. That's all for now. Now let's get back to Heath Franklin. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. So starting to do Chopper, what was the the decision? You said you did that, you did it a little bit before doing the, the sketch show yeah yeah why what was your relationship with the kind of the, the mythos of Chopper at the time was he someone you'd see I mean when, when did the movie come out in terms of your history I don't know the dates oh okay. yeah the movie came out about 2000 or 2001 I think okay. and um, and I mean I, I was just blown away by Eric Banner's performance like I maintain to this day that if that film was fiction I'd still be doing what I'm doing you know? sure like, the, yeah, real, sure. the real chopper just doesn't interest me at all. And to tell you the truth, the more I find out about him, the more depressing it gets, and the kind of really? the harder it is. Yeah, really. <laughs> the harder it is to stay buoyant and kind Have of. Have you ever had any contact stage. with him? Yeah, I, I did. mean, he must know that you're doing this. But who approached him? Um, yeah, it was uh, one of those horrible men's magazines. Um, got us together for a photo shoot. Okay. Um, yeah, it was just horribly awkward. He's, he's really? a really strange human being. Is it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, in my mind, he looks like Eric Banner. I don't think I've seen any footage of actual him. You keep, I mean? keep it that way. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, he's just sort of, he's basically just a a guy with an amazing knack for sort of self-promotion and, and turning fiction into fact, really. I mean, the sure. thing, thing with him that you, no one will ever know. Yeah what is true and what isn't true about his life people will argue about it if they could be bothered to sure you know for a long time so um yeah but he, he, he was just sort of you know 
quite aloof. You could tell he'd learnt all his social skills in prison. You know, like okay. one word answers and just sort of really enjoying the sort of alpha maleness of it all. Sure. And, you know, there'd be a big awkward pause after something, you know. You'd ask him a question and he'd give you a one-word answer and then just sort of look at you and just soak yeah. up the awkward silence. Yeah, you know? okay. And it's just... So... Um, and did you get any sense that he was sort of pleased that someone... Did he sort of have an opinion either way that... Because presumably one would... Ima- I mean, I, I guess my interpretation of it, my expectation of it, would be that he'd be quite pleased someone was going out there, like, keeping the myth alive almost. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where... His ego was such that it was almost a struggle between, well, you know, th- this guy's kind of building my name, but there was still that. So he's of, the one getting the applause. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and so it was. It was kind of like, I think he knew that he was supposed to be gracious, or appreciative, or, or I don't know what the, quite the right word for it is, but just he's you know yeah. some niggling part of his ego just kind of wouldn't let him. Sure. Yeah. Wouldn't, well, wouldn't let me kind of, you know, get away with it. So, did you feel any? Did were you scared before meeting him? Were you scared that you sort of? I mean, it's it's one thing to be a student and go right. I'm going to do an impression of this famous criminal, and then another to actually meet him and you know know that this is a guy with a past. Let me say whatever the whatever the fact or fiction is, you know. Yeah, he's yeah. a tough guy. Yeah, and um, I mean, the main thing was because. I did, when I was doing it at uni, you know, I was doing it to twenty or thirty people in the crowd on a Saturday mm. night. And, and never at any point was I like, well, I'm going to have to eventually justify myself to the real guy. <laughs> yeah, okay. And then, you know, but was it 12 months later, we were on TV, and then I was sort of, you know, I think I was sitting around the house with my family waiting for the first episode to go to air, and I went, hang on a second, he's going to have... If he, like, if he doesn't see this, someone's going to point it out to him. Sure. Absolutely. And so, yeah, that's when I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have... There's going to be a point yeah. where we come face to face. And, I mean, the hardest part is because I, I try and make it very panto, you know, like the mm. tattoos are texture and the moustache is ridiculous. Sure, Because sure. I mean, if you talk about things like, you know, killing people, you want it to sound like a joke, you know of what course. I mean? You, if you're like, I've got some guy tied up in the boot of my car, you want people yeah. to go, ha, 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 that's very and funny. Not, oh, and not, oh, shit. And, and not like, yeah, that's a great idea. I'm going to start taking notes from this. Yeah, okay. And so... Um, so I was just sort of sitting there in front of him and he's got sort of real stab wounds and real tattoos and mm. he's missing teeth and all this kind of stuff. And I've got like texted tattoos drawn on my arm and yeah. like essentially a pipe cleaner moustache. And it was, <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit like being caught, like taking the mickey out of your school headmaster. Okay. And then, you know, turning around to discover he was behind you the whole time. Sure. There's this sort of overwhelming sense of being caught in the act. But um, I, I never felt so physically threatened, but he made it entirely uncomfortable the sure. whole afternoon. Sure. Well, I mean, it's interesting you say that. That's did Was there a point on the TV show where you tried to look more realistic or was it important to you that it looked like a joke version of Chopper? Yeah, it was. There was a point where um, makeup artists were trying to sort of, you know, take it up to the next level. Sure, okay. And I was like, no, I think it kind of needs to stay here. It's got to stay playful, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, there's got to be something to undermine the sort of stuff that I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So, with regard to your audiences, you were saying you don't want people to come along and and take notes. I mean, I the show I saw last night, there was a small contingent in the crowd who were kind of quite gobby, yeah. pissed, sort of, you know, maybe in town for Clipsal or maybe out of town or whatever. Um, how do you find your... How do you find your audiences approach the character? It seemed to me that it was... I, I didn't know what the, what the balance of the audience would be before I went in, and it seemed to be 95% nice, liberal art people in on the joke, and maybe 5% of people... Like, when they, you, you were doing a question about, like, what things piss you off, and people was going, oh, you know, drivers and cell phones, and then someone went, yeah, my family talking shit to me all the time. Yeah. And there was a bit of a tension in the room, and it's like, okay, that, you know... What, how do you... What, what are the majority of your audiences? Is that a representative uh, example? Yeah, that's pretty fair, I'd say. I mean, it seems to be sort of split between people who get it, and there are a bunch of people out there that just, I think, would prefer to believe that I am the actual chopper. You know? do, do, you, do you ever find that people come expecting you to be the real chopper? Like I said, it says chopper on the board outside, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, quite, at the start, there are a few times where... Um, yeah, I think people turned up and they're like, you know, who's this guy? I was expecting Chopper. Sure. Because Chopper himself used to do sort of spoken word shows. Yeah, okay. For a while there. But, um, 
But yeah, and, uh, and every now and then you do a, like a interview on a radio station or something for publicity, and people ring up afterwards going, "How dare you? you right. know, give attention to that criminal?" And they're like, "No, okay. no, it's just like a slightly overweight white dude from Sydney." So sure. don't worry about it too much. But yeah, so there are people that get fooled, but then there are people that kind of, I think. You know, the tiny little bogan minds would explode if they sort of t- saw me take off the moustache and, sure. and tattoos. You know, they just sort of, yeah, they cling to the cling to the hope that it's actually quite real. Do, do you find as well that when you say certain things on stage, you get a reaction that isn't the reaction you want? Yeah, well, that's that's one of the things I discovered pretty early, actually. Like, in, in, you know, in my first show, I think it was, I had a joke about emos that was sort of the premise was that you know they wear black clothing and so you've got an excuse to run them over at night sure um, and then I'd get people coming out afterwards going yeah I'm going to do that on the way home and there was just that point where I was like yeah I, like, I really hope you're joking but there's a certain yeah. part of me that panicked so I realised that I did have to start being responsible okay for um, what I said and what what form does that responsibility take did that did that affect the type of material you were making or or how, how did you try and navigate that yeah well I mean I th- it, it meant that um, you know for the most part I tried to take the violence from being I mean one of the great things about doing Chopper is you know you can take your frustration out and you'll be like oh, I wanted to shoot this guy in the face you know what sure, I mean? and, sure. and you know it's a very strong image but um, I kind of like dealing in strong images but um, I found that the, the sort of the, the sort of violent acts had to be ridiculous you know mm. like uh, live from the show last night I would have cut off his hand and passed it to his mum you know that's sure. that's not the sort of thing where people like copycats out there with oh yeah I'm going to cut yeah yeah sure okay so there's a certain level at which it's cartoon violence that yeah yeah okay. exactly that's exactly right that sort of you know Hanna-Barbera style mm. you know it's got to be got to be ridiculous mm. so that people don't you know, emulate it, and I find myself <laughs> explaining to police why I'm telling people how to X, Y, and Z, or sure. something like that, because some strange guy took it too far. But, but yeah, and I also, um, yeah, I, I also used to sort of have no social responsibility. And every now and then, you'd be doing a show, and you're like, "Well, you know, what pisses you off?" And someone would go, "Oh, Muslims," or something like that. And and there used to be a time where I'd be like, oh, I'll gloss over that we'll just move forward quickly. okay but now I'm at the point where I'm like alright I'm not going to let that fly I'm not just going to yeah, right. go past this anymore we're going to address this and I'm going to explain to you why I think you're wrong and you know and once again it's that same thing where it's like if you feel strongly about something if you've got an opinion mm-hmm. launch into it trust your instincts and hopefully at the end they're laughing kind of sure thing. so you I mean that must be a very difficult line to tread whilst also staying in character as this kind of maniac yeah. So yeah. how do you do that? How would you? Well, I mean, what would you? Because I noticed what the part of the the format of your show is. It gives you loads of room to improvise. It gives you loads of stimulus. Of you're asking people directly. You're asking people to tweet things in. So so it seems like you can have a lot of stuff thrown at you in order to stimulate that improvisation. So in the examples of something like Muslims, how how would you approach that through the mouthpiece of Chopper? Well, I find that it's sort of the best way to do it is. To go to logic, but like you can't you can't say hey stop hating Muslims. Sure, it doesn't make sense because then you get, you know you get into the whole argument. So you've got to kind of rethink it and come in the back door and sort of approach it from an entirely different angle. So I mean I I still actually to tell you the truth haven't addressed the sort of the anti-Muslim vibe that Australia is really excited about at the moment. Is it really? Oh yeah, it's okay. a, well I mean maybe I'm just exposed. I, I got on Facebook the other day and I was like you know get it off your chest. What do you what yeah. do you want to winch about? And it was all like every second one is like Muslims, and the guys really? are like, yeah, Muslims. And I was just like, oh, so exhausting. And the worst bit is that kind of that's the other part about pretending to be Chopper is that he's actually, you know, he will deny it flatly, but he's quite a racist guy. And so a lot of people assume that that's me as well. So that's that's sure. the line I've got to treat. People come up and they think they're getting brownie points with me by being, you know, bigger. <laughs> And uh, if, oh my gosh! But I was doing a show in Perth once, and um, this guy came up to me after the show because I sort of wandered out in the foyer to say good day to people and get photos or whatever. And this guy came up to me with a cast on his leg. I was just about to. Have, he said, Can we get a photo chopper? I was like, Yeah, mate. 
what happened to your leg? And just as the photo was being taken, he went, oh, you know, kicking coons. Said, oh, man. And it was just, and so there's a photo out there of me just like absolutely agape, just sure. totally gobsmacked with this guy with this big thumbs up and a big grin. And, um, and I think that was one of those moments where I was like, I do, I do have the opportunity to start changing people's minds. You know? Yeah. And he, and even if even if it just stops people coming up and assuming that I'm into this sort of thing, sure, that will be enough. Sure. Um, but it's almost yeah, it is. It's an it's an odd opportunity, isn't it? Because you're almost uh, you know a sheep in wolf's clothing. Do you know what I mean? You can yeah, you could yeah. actually you can get them on side. You can make them laugh. And yeah, there could be a kind of a quest there. I mean, if you were so inclined to mean that you can because you can actually win the the trust and the respect and the attention of a particular section of society yeah yeah but once again you can't you can't directly counter them you can't sure. say no that's bad because I mean that's what they've heard from everyone everywhere and it hasn't changed their mind so you've got to sort of slowly try and sneak up on them a little bit um, and I mean, I, I mean I, you, you had that sorry to interrupt you had, you had that um, that joke that you did in the, in the club gig the other night uh, about people um, uh, saying what was it people from is it Senegalese or You've got people from. Um, oh yeah, but, uh, yeah, people from the Middle East and South East Asia Middle East people and Africa, coming yeah. over here. All the white Australians with skin cancer going. Those guys don't belong here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so that that's it. I was sort of. That's one of those things where, for me, that was pure logic. You know, what I mean? you can't argue with that. You can't. Sure. It, as much as you, you know, want to dislike refugees or people from other countries coming to Australia or what have you, there's, that's there's science there. You know, sure. you, you can't go well. Like, how do you argue against that? Yeah, so of course, that's, of course. That's when I've stumbled across that, I was like, you know, A, it's a new way of looking at it, you know, mm-hmm. and B, like, how, how do you refute it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, not that, you know, logic is a bigot's best friend, but... But, yeah, and, and so that was, yeah. And then I've, I've got to sort of accumulated a few bits of material like that. It used to be just as a response for when it would come up, you know. But, um... Actually, I was speaking with one of my friends about this the other day, and we and he's a, he's a Asian Australian, and he was like, I just it doesn't even offend me anymore. It's just so boring. It's just so tired, you <laughs> yeah. know. And I was like, Yeah, that's pretty true, really. And and it, it is. It's like the people who sort of say these things, like they've invented some brilliant new concept, but yeah. they're just wheeling out the same old garbage. And so yeah, it's it's nice to have a bit of a right reply. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking with uh, one of the other acts on the on the, the show I'm doing a couple of days ago about whether or not you challenge that kind of racism, because like we were talking specifically in the case of elderly relatives, <laughs> but whether you you know whether there's any point trying to challenge an elderly relative who's set in their ways, or whether you or not even an elderly relative, say an elderly heckler, or whether you just sort of think to yourself, well you and your opinions will be dead soon do you know what I mean like you know, to what extent have I got to stick it now I would think I think the English love to to tell Australians that they're racist I've certainly experienced a bit more kind of uh, not experienced not directed at me but it seems to be much more on the surface here there's a sort of a simmering racial tension yeah yeah it's a far it's a far whiter country than well not that I was expecting but you know you, you do look at your audience and go oh wow everyone here is white um, and I just wonder how that feeds into it. Whether there are, I mean, there seems to be that. Is that like a hot button topic for comics over here? Is there a lot of kind of uh, anti-racist material? Is that something that's kind of that's a well-trodden path? I'm not too sure. I mean, I have to admit, I haven't seen too much of it. To tell you the truth, in fact, yeah, I haven't encountered too much of it at all in people's. Okay. Excuse me, in people's shows, but. Yeah, I mean, I've done. I've sort of been lucky enough to do a fair bit of travelling with this job. Sure. And you go to places like New Zealand, and it's just it's just nowhere near as bad over there, you know. Sure. And then you go to the UK, and it's nowhere near as bad over there. So it's just like, well, you know, maybe it is time to start trying to make a difference, kind of. Yeah, thing. yeah. I think what the point I was trying to make is that it's there seems less mileage here to the argument that hey, you know, racism will be dead soon. It sort of feels like no, that that yeah, is still yeah. going on, and I, and I do say that as someone who, who largely travels to and lives in cosmopolitan areas of England, and I know there's plenty of places in England that are still, you know, very have a lot of racism. And yeah, yeah, but it's funny. I've had exact that, that exact same thought too, where I was just like, well, 
some people are just lost. Unfortunately, you've just got to wait for the generation to die out, and then you know, hopefully, until one day we're all going to be like Star Trek. Yeah, <laughs> but I think hopefully, right now, Australia is having like there's a, a, a generation that's arguing with their parents about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I know my wife argues, argues with her parents about it all the time. I think, <laughs> I think in a lot of ways, it's. I was talking to someone about it the other day, but my father-in-law is always bringing up, you know, he casually throws out some sort of racist statement at the dinner table and sits back and enjoys it as my wife gets quite flustered and sure. tries to argue with him. But I, I realised the other day that maybe, you know, because he's not a very communicative guy, maybe that's just his way of getting like it's the longest conversation he could have with his daughter you know what I mean so it's, yeah okay it's, it's, oh wow that's a nice perspective yeah it's it's not even about him genuinely being malicious it's just like this is for someone who can't communicate very well this mm. is you know quite a long period of time where I get to interact with my daughter on a kind of very sort of immediate level you know sure. what I mean it's not sort of chat about the weather it's sort of you know, sure it's actually we can we can interact in a, in a real way that's a yeah, very well yeah. that's a very forgiving perspective but I'd love to believe that's true I, absolutely why not yeah well I mean I, don't, I generally don't think he's a malicious guy I think it's just one of those things where <clears throat> his generation's like you know that's what you do you kind of mm. make a joke about indigenous people and high five each other and have a beer so sure <laughs> To what extent do you give voice to your own opinions through Chopper? Um, well, it's like, like more and more these days, and especially on things like this, you know what I mean? I still have to figure out, that there's one thing I still have to figure out, I have to get some uh, anti-homophobic material going, but yeah. Okay, is that something that comes up a lot? Yeah, see that's what, I mean, that's one of those things, like as I said, you, sort of, you get on Facebook and you're like, all right, Chopper fans, what do you hate at the moment? And it's, <laughs> You know, and I, I won the other day. It was spelled H O M A S E X U A L S. I was like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> you can't even spell it. Yeah. But yeah. And that's the other amazing thing about Australia. Because, and the other thing people always whinge about is the Indian call centres. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I noticed on an advert the other day it said, uh, our call centres are all Australian. I was like, yeah. well, okay, let's be quite clear what we're talking about here. But, and then you, you interact with some of these people who complain about, you know, Oh, Indian call center can't even understand what you're talking about. You know, what was that? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. If we're, we're going to get iffy about communication skills, you know. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. Once again, you know, try to generate some material about that. It's sort of amazing at this point, but it's mm-hmm. it's better than just pretending it never happened. Sure. I mean, I, I think watching your show last night, there's, you're very skillful at making Chopper the victim of his own rage. And I think that's something I've done one of these interviews with Jim Jeffries and he was talking about when you're doing, I mean, he was talking about when you're doing dirty comedy, you have to be self-deprecating. You yeah, have to be yeah. the victim. And it was interesting seeing not that your stuff is kind of dirty per se, but given that it's about rage and it's, the, you know, the, the format of this year's show is the shit list and all the things that piss you off. You're managing to make yourself or your character the victim of that rage. Is that, is that kind of a, a conscious decision or is that just something that this is a flavour of the the work you've been doing well I think it um, it's a sort of partly conscious decision it's one of those things where sometimes you need someone to be the butt of the joke and the most obvious candidate is yourself and especially if you're playing someone who's like a, you know a sort of dodgy criminal con sure. type of guy and so you know there's a, there's a point in the show last night where it's sort of like alright you know it's sort of gently imply that maybe I've sort of <laughs> the character's been involved in pedophilia or something like that As I, said, I don't want to point that finger at anyone else and the sure. great thing I'm this ridiculous pantomime character you know yeah. why not what have I got to lose yeah right and it, it also kind of I hopefully gives it the tone that I'm taking responsibility for myself as well you know yes which um yeah which is the area I kind of like I mean it was fascinating watching you deal with that heckler last night because you uh, initially it seemed to slightly phase you because he was just doing that thing of stamping on punchlines and pauses and I, I could say as a, as a fellow comic I could see you yeah. deciding not to continue with stuff and kind of sighing and okay move on like that but then when the two guys got stuck doing the, the Weetabix or Weetbix uh, race you were like oh here's an opportunity and it was fascinating watching you sort of take the time to 
to sort of circle him and get stuff out of him and leather him in, in a very in a very efficient kind of a way that, that looked to me like it belied a lot of experience of dealing with people like him in clubs. Do you know what I mean? Your, your, your character stayed totally coherent as you were taking him apart. Yeah, yeah. And it, it does come from, you know, a lot of experience. It happens a lot. So is, is that, in, I mean, are you, are you predominantly doing festival shows? I don't really know much at the stage about how the Australian circuit works. I mean, I, I know it's, it's kind of possible but difficult to make a living doing club gigs in Australia. Have yeah, you ever yeah. been on that club? Have you been bashing the club circuit or have you been predominantly doing... No, no, not too much at all. I mean, the first, um, the first tour I did was I used to have theatres across Australia, you know, no support act, just me. Excuse me. And then, um, and then festivals everywhere as well. And yeah, I mean, as I said, it was sort of almost in the last couple of years that I've had the confidence in my material to start doing 10 minute spots sure um, but yeah apart from that it's sort of all been my own shows like one hour shows and corporate gigs and things like that okay do you, what kind of corporates do you do as Chopper they're actually really good because people don't book you and go oh just send us some guy people will seek out Chopper and go sure. I think you'll be great for X okay um, and so for the most part you don't get people going well, you've got to tone it down it's just all oh, these kind of bogans come good like sure. Upper middle management types who are like, we bloody love you, mate. Don't hold back. You get in there and you bloody stick it to shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Find Steve. Steve's a total dick. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And so, they're, yeah, they're quite good. But um, I mean, there's been a few nasty ones, obviously. Like, yeah. that's what corporate work's supposed to be. But yeah, for, for the most part, sort of, you know, bouncing up on stage and doing 10 and 15 minutes here and there is a relatively new thing. But um, yeah, I mean, my first tour was called Hard in the Fuck Up. And that, I think, brought a lot of the alpha males out. They were kind of like, all right, yeah, you want to challenge me? Come yeah, on. okay. And so, yeah, I, once again, off the back of the TV show, found myself sort of standing in front of 400 people and 50 of them were inebriated. And, and, and you have to win the argument. And you've got to win the argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a very, I hadn't thought about that. It's very provocative from the point of view of, you know, it's like you're, you're accepting all challenges. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, that was... That was just a sort of, you know, pushed into the deep end, kind of baptism of fire, I think. Sure. But I've always maintained, if you can if you can come out the end of a, a season in the Garden of Unearthly Delights at the Adelaide Fringe Festival, you will be the most battle-hardened comic you could have Okay. Made. Okay, I've never worked in it. Tell me, how, how do you mean? <coughs> is that in terms of the... I mean, I know on a Friday and Saturday night I've walked through it and it's very different to yeah, how it is yeah. on a Tuesday, yeah. It gets, gets quite... Uh, trying to find a nice euphemism exuberant <laughs> okay um, but yeah I mean you've got so you've got noise bleed you've got ridiculously tight turnarounds so quite often you'll have an audience coming in half an hour late and they're all shuffling around and they're a bit cranky and you know and then you've got people who constantly streaming in and out to go to the bathroom and get mm-hmm. more beer and who just sort of treat it like a music gig really yeah sure um and so you get you get to another venue, like say the Rhino Room. And you're like, all right, everyone, listen up. And everyone's yeah. like, we're already listening. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry about that. I'll take it down a few gears. Sure. You know? And so there's that. Yeah, there's a real sizable difference between the sort of the level you've got to perform at. You know, mm. it's almost sometimes it's like a sort of a cross between Alcoholics Anonymous and daycare. You know, we yeah, like, sure. Back to me. Back to yeah. Me. <laughs> okay. Almost, don't don't zone out. I know that's been like a a two sentence setup, but trust me, there's still more. Mm. You know. Mm. So, um, yeah, so that makes it, by the time you go somewhere else, it's almost a sense of relief. You're like, all right, sure. yeah, this is almost... Yeah, you've done the running with lead weights. Almost too easy, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. And do you find that you, that you change the, I mean, when I say the writing of the material, if you're not writing it down, then, then at least the, the creation or the honing of the material, do you find yourself deliberately boiling it down and removing words and making things shorter and punchier or does that just happen organically from having to swed your way through tough crowds um, yeah I mean there are some bits there's some I mean it's one of those things where you kind of <clears throat> excuse me again you have about a 65 minute show of which you know you've got 60, 60 of those minutes are perfect for kind of drunk people and then there's a sort of a, a slightly varying version of the show for another sort of 60 minute version that's yeah people with slightly more patience and you figure out very quickly you're like all right that bit's yeah okay not gonna fly tonight because it requires a little bit too much concentration sure. and there's a guy at the back you know trying to start a fight with his wife so i'm just gonna yeah. have to 
yeah. keep hitting him with punch lines or I'm going to lose them. Sure. So the, the format really helps as well. Like I was saying, the, 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 them, the amount of interaction whereby you're, you're digging into them and it's, it's very well structured. You're out. Did you work with a director or is it just you going, this is, the, this is how I'm going to do it? No, well, I um, used to work with uh, my manager quite closely. Uh, he's got an incredible eye for those things. And he said, okay. the first two shows I did, he was very instrumental in the Who's that? Who's your manager? Uh, a guy called Chris McDonald, who okay. runs uh, Laughing Stock. Okay. Um, he's also been producing me as well. But, um, but yeah, he, he sort of moved away from Sydney, where I'm based. And uh, I you know, found myself having to figure it out, you know. Mm-hmm. But that, the show that I did um, last night, I did for a month in New Zealand last year. Okay. Um, touring it around and sort of gently reworking it and reordering it and sort of figuring out, you know, it's got a climax and then bring it down again or it's just going to turn into this total expenditure of energy and then it's just going to be a really aggressive... Sure. So... I so that those were your decisions, those were your kind of instincts from, from performing it? Because it seems... The way... The way you describe your, uh, the, your the means of making material, the means of honing it, and the means of structuring it, it all seems very sort of instinctive that you you do it from practice. Yeah, yeah, it's I mean, it's yeah, trial and error basically. Sure. Um. So yeah, you you go all right. That that is great, but for some reason it, it doesn't work. And mm-hmm. if I put that next to that, it falls flat for some reason. Yeah. And so after a while, you kind of slowly pick, you know, energy and tone and things like that and make sure that they all run in the right direction mm-hmm. instead of being counter each other. And, um, yeah, so it does It does take a while. The first first incarnation of the show was just a scruffy mess. It was just me with bullet points and sort of three or four beers just trying to get to the end of sentences, basically. Okay. Um, which is really exciting, you know, because it is that thing where you're like... You know, you, you've got two choices here. You can, make, <laughs> you can make this funny, or you can, you know, spend the next five minutes trying to get their confidence in your back. So, sure. yeah, but I mean, that's sort of, yeah, right at the beginning. Do you think that if you hadn't, what what would have your what would your comedy career be like if you hadn't happened upon Chopper? Would I, there would there have been one? What was? I, I generally don't think there would have been one. To tell you the truth, I mean the other the other incredible thing um, about my kind of journey here is that uh, our show was on air in sort of two thousand five when it first went on to television, and uh, that was almost exactly the right time for YouTube to start oh, of course. gaining momentum. Yeah, okay. And so there was a, a guy out there with sort of you know steal steal the chopper clips off the television and put mm-hmm. them on YouTube. And all, all of a sudden, you know, like, it's millions of hits and things like that. Okay. And I think it was, if it had been six months before that, no one would have known about YouTube or cared about mm. it or anything like that. And if it was six months after, no one would have been able to find it because it was all clogged up with, you know, keyboard cat and auto-tune stuff and yeah. and all those kind of meme trends and things sure, like that. Sure, sure. And so I think, yeah, incredibly fortunate just to hit that sweet spot where people are like, oh my gosh, it's like television on the internet. <laughs> okay. Um, and it's the perfect thing for it as well because it looks homemade yeah as well yeah. That's, there's that element of it you know and you, even though you're doing that deliberately it shares a certain aesthetic with people knocking stuff up in their shed and you know banging on yeah yeah but at the same time it sort of also had the sort of production values of TV of like studio yeah. sets and things like that which and proper sound and proper lighting sure. so it it kind of while, while there was a real kind of immediacy sort of homemade vibe was all this incredible you know clarity you didn't have to strain to hear what's being said and it didn't look like it was shot in a basement and, mm-hmm. and um yeah and so the hard part now is this sort of it's almost need to kind of keep feeding this viral video thing but not having any of the kind of right equipment and okay so but you're still you're still following that you're still producing uh i've, I've made several attempts <laughs> okay okay but uh the, i mean the hard part is trying to find the right idea that you don't need it to be kind of well lit and well shot because I sort of tried doing a couple of like parodies of webcam things and okay. and stuff like that but uh, but yeah as I say I mean either they're not very good at all which is a distinct possibility yeah <laughs> or um, or yeah it's just at the point now where YouTube's so clogged that people 
just can't find anything. Do you ever feel trapped that you have got this character, it's successful, and you're beholden to that, this thing that's working? Because you seem to have you've grabbed onto by partly luck and obviously talent and skill and hard work, all those things, you've grabbed onto something that's really working. Do you ever think to yourself, actually my stand-up is so good now that it, I don't need to be inside this character? Yeah, well that's, that's been a sort, of a sort of latent dilemma for the last few years. It's been emerging. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, obviously... When I first started doing it, it was off the back of the TV show and sure. really popular, you know, YouTube stuff and all that sort of thing. Yeah, why would you not? I mean, it's all, you know, take yeah, it off. Yeah, yeah. And, and not only was sort of did people want to see it, but I felt like I could kind of give it a proper voice. I didn't, as I mentioned, know exactly what I was doing, but I felt yeah. like it's, it was just sort of a character that I could sort of channel myself through. And, um, you know, since being off TV, and I, I assume my demographic is sort of, a fairly short attention span there's just been a sort of a gentle erosion in numbers kind of thing over the years you know where right off the back of the TV show it was massive and selling yeah. out seasons and now it's sort of harder work and more flyering sure. and all that sort of stuff and so it is it is at the point now where it's like alright well I'm not making any references to the film anymore yeah it doesn't specifically have to be about Chopper what am I what am I doing here you know I got a review in Edinburgh actually that said um, it was quite <laughs> it was uh, it said something to the effect of you know he's, he's just dressed as chopper to get people in the door and then after that okay. it's stand up and I felt a little bit caught out I was like sure that's a good point you know I don't, I don't reference being a kind of standover man or serial killer or yeah any sort of underworld references at all throughout the show it's just sort of you know a bogan ranting about things um, and yeah, so as I said, I felt really caught out by that because it was quite clearly true. Sure. But um, yeah, and so that sort of made me reconsider things. And I mean, the other thing that's a big factor is that sort of Chopper, the real Chopper recently sort of tweeted about how he has cancer and all this kind of stuff. And so um, there will be a point probably in the next six, 12 months, maybe two, three years, you know, who, okay. who knows with him. But um, there's a strong likelihood that he will, you know, pass on, and it will be quite tasteless for me to continue doing this. And so, sure. I've, it'll I've, certainly change the yeah, yeah, yeah it'll it'll change be a tribute to Chopper, maybe, or yeah, maybe people yeah, have yeah, different expectations of it, you know. And that, yeah, that was that was going to be <laughs> jokingly that was my plan B, the tribute <laughs> show. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it was like all right, well, it's time to start, you know. And how do you how do you feel about that? How do you feel about letting go of that? Is that do you think the character is sort of um, well not a not a comfort blanket exactly? But I have to admit when when watching you in the Rhino Rooms the other night, I thought to myself, why are you dressed as Chopper? You're a great stand-up comic. You've got a great eye for finding the funny in things. And I, I suppose I came to just being honest, I, I kind of came to it thinking this is so weird that someone's doing a character of someone that's already you know arguably already a character. Do you know what yeah, I mean? He's yeah, certainly yeah. his public face and certainly everyone's familiar with Eric Banner's interpretation of the original guy's public face. It seemed a little... Before seeing you, it seemed like the concept to me was like, well, why hasn't this guy created his own comic persona? You know, are you adopting the voice of someone else? And then having seen you and gone, holy shit, you've got the, the skills, you know, you absolutely can do the stand-up. How do you feel about the idea of letting go of it does that scare you or do you think you're no I'm, I'm quite excited by it to tell you the truth Correct. I mean as, as I mentioned the sort of the original chopper audience and sort of all that sort of adulation that I was lucky enough to be the subject of has really started to wane and it's at the point now where um, and you, you can tell with reviewers and things like that people have an expectation of what chopper does you know it's sure just series of you know, F words and C words and things like that. And I, I kind of hope that it's more than that. And so it's at the point now where me doing Chopper, I think, is almost turning more people away. People go, all oh, right, I know what he does and I don't Yeah, like okay, him. okay. That's interesting, yeah. And so out of necessity, I think it's got to be like just sort of clean slate. All right, you may have never heard of Heath Franklin, but at least you don't already know that you don't like him. Yeah, okay. So there's there's something sort of kind of exciting in that, but it is it is the the abyss, you know. It's sure. 
just a giant question mark. And particularly coming to it from um, from having had an angle that's a hugely marketable angle. Yeah. You're going to find yourself, presumably, I mean, are you, are you sort of thinking, is part of you thinking, right, I've got to find another angle, another marketable angle, or are you kind of relishing the challenge of going back to basics and going, right, it's me and all the other white male middle-class stand-ups in their 30s. You know, you've got the skills. A lot of them have got the skills. How do you stand out? Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's exactly the thing. I mean, well, the, the chopper used to be the point of difference. It sure. Was, that, that used to be my stance, you know. I'm, I'm lucky enough to be not just another kind of 30-something white male comic. Mm-hmm. I've, I've got a point of difference. But as I said over the last few years, I've just really noticed that the Chopper character alienate, is going to alienate people sure. from coming to see it or coming to try it out. Or, you know, I'd love people to come in and sort of change their expectations of what I do, but they're just not going to. So, yeah, combine that with a sort of slowly dissipating Chopper crowd, it just doesn't make sense anymore. But, sure. yeah, I mean, it's sort of... It's one of those things where it's inevitable now, so I've just got to look myself in the face and take a deep breath and step off the ledge. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, and I have—I've been quite lucky to have a lot of uh, support from within the industry as well. Okay, a lot of people have been seeing me do chopper. Have been kind of you know, come out, why don't just do it yourself, start doing it yourself, get yeah. out there. But my, I, I noticed your. Uh, I, I don't know if this is accurate and an accurate observation, but I think you used to be Chopper brackets Heath Franklin, and now you're Heath. You know, quote marks Chopper Franklin. Yeah, yeah. And then presumably the next stage is Heath Franklin brackets ex Chopper. Yeah. And then yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of moving out of a. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I may even leave the Chopper out of it entirely for move on, but yeah, that was always the plan, you know. The, mm-hmm. The font size on Heath Franklin was supposed to get larger and larger. It's like The Rock, isn't it? It's, you know what I mean? It's kind of, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, Dwayne Johnson, whatever his real name, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yeah, almost. Uh, yeah. So hopefully I'll be doing movies like The Tooth Fairy. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lucky, lucky man. <laughs> yeah. So you were saying that you're, you're, I mean, I was going to ask about your place in the comedy community. You, you feel it's been very supportive. People have been saying, you know, you don't need to do Chopper anymore. Has that been, is it, has that been overwhelmingly the case? Do you find that anyone's sort of had a problem with, with your, with your adopting of, of that persona? No one's had a problem with it, but I think a lot of the other comics have been like, just, you don't need to do it. You know, I don't sure. know that. They kind of hear about me sort of moaning about, you know, being daycare for bogans or whatever, and they're like, you don't need to do it. Mate. Yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> Stop putting a sign saying daycare for bogans over you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Just, uh, just get out there and do it kind of thing. Um, and I, I sort of, yeah, I, I hope that, you know, it's quite complimentary because they're sort of saying, well, you can, you can be more than this, you can be greater than this. Yeah, I It's a really nice sentiment. So, and yeah, I mean, it happened again last night. Someone came up and like, you got to dish this chopper thing, man. So, yeah, it's, uh, this is 2013, it's going to be about. Right, okay. Coming out of the cocoon. I'm glad I caught you at this cut. <laughs> <laughs> well, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that part of it is like sort of the, the relief of doing Chopper is that when the world that you're sort of creating and living in is fictional, there's, sort of, there's no boundaries really. And and the other thing is, that, as you say, what do I do? Mm. You know, what does Heath Franklin do on stage? Jack like, the Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, because I've got friends who've, you know, got amazing stories and, and they've made shows out of sort of, you know, dilemmas they've had and problems they've gone through and it, but my life's been pretty good pretty yeah. standard and I've, I've, I've kind of been damned a bit because I've just made a series of really sensible decisions off stage you know and there's, okay. there's not much humour in just making a string of fairly sensible decisions so I've, it's I've, classic third album problem yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> you're gonna be now, now all your stuff is singing about like oh man my tours are so tough do you know what I mean rather than yeah, that yeah. <laughs> so yeah that's that's going to be the hard bit as well. I need to develop some sort of addiction, or and have you got any? Have you? Oh yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry, I missed that. Um, have you got any? Uh, have you got any ideas? Have you got any starting points? Have you got anything that you're thinking? Maybe this is this is the thing to pursue. Not yet. I mean, I've the sort of the first time I was really thinking about doing an hour show as myself I was like in bed last night actually. Okay. And I was like, all right, well, you know, there'll be a point in two or three months where someone's like, we need to register for a festival. What are you going to do? Yeah, right. And um, I've got no idea. <laughs> I've got no idea at all. And part, and part of me is sort of like, 
well, why don't you talk about your experience as a shopper and sort of try and be the kind of antithesis to yourself and explain to people that, you know, it's a sort of... That might be a good phase. You could do a, you know, a, a year or an 18-month run of the, the ex-chopper show. Yeah, And that yeah. could help, you could market it as the chopper guy and get your name known as the guy that isn't the chopper guy. Yeah, and, and you know, talk about, you know, all the behind the scenes stuff so even as I say things like that I feel <laughs> feel a little bit irked about it but um what because it would still arguably be hanging on to it and maybe no, a clean no, break just, would be it just feels a bit self-indulgent really you know, yeah like, sure I don't know this I, was the dilemma I had yeah, did I yeah, give yeah. up my character yeah right okay there was a point when I found myself sitting in a hotel room thinking where have I gone <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Lovely. I, just, I, don't, I don't want that to be it at all but um yeah I'm, I just I need to figure it out. I've actually I've had this strange, overwhelming sense recently because I've been sort of stuck in my little house in the suburbs and not seeing other comics and just sort of, you know, raising children and pets and things like that. And it's become a really solitary lifestyle. Yeah. I've had this overwhelming urge. I just want to do some sort of double act with someone. I just want to, you know, I'm tired of sitting down behind my computer going, sure. what's funny? All right, walking the dog wasn't funny. Breakfast wasn't funny. Putting my kid to sleep wasn't funny. Dinner's not going to be funny. You know, I need some sort of external stimulus. You know? Sure. Which is something I think I rely on a lot, you know, as, as I say, the Twitter and the crowd stuff. I yeah. This is another favourite topic of this show is basically how do you write and how do you cope? That's, uh, that's something we're going to get into a lot. That's interesting to hear. So you're, you're finding that your home life and the isolation, and that's a word that I use every show, um, the, the isolation of that, you know, it does prevent you having new and different experiences. Certainly Chopper probably couldn't talk about, you know, changing nappies and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's that's a kind of a dangerous, that whole, you know, do you then do the, the dad show about, you know, all that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah. But I wonder if there's a way to replicate some other means of getting the stimulus of the questions and the audience interaction to, to spur you on. It seems like that's, you know, in your writing, it seems like you're a, you need that catalyst of, of being prodded to then make you react to create around it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, what is it? You know, is it the yeah. newspaper? The problem with you know, you read the newspaper and then you write an amazing joke about it, and then three weeks later, people's attention span just sure. don't care. Like, sure, Afghanistan, what you know, like yeah. So, yeah, and, and it's sort of just got to figure out a way of catching those sort of strange cultural phenomenons and things, you know, like. Um, yeah, Facebook and all these sorts of things, and and once again trying to strip them right down and sort of mm. rebuild them with a sense of logic, so they look like so they're trying to be the ridiculous things they mm. are. Really, do you, but, um, do you think you'll do you think you'll hang on to elements of the the anger or the attitude that you were using as job? Yes, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that at all. See, this is once again goes back to the argument: like, what does Heath Franklin do? Yeah, I remember. I remember actually, I was doing a panel show in uh, in Melbourne I was speaking to a guy who was a former I think he was a former Australian Idol judge or something like that okay and I was having a chat to him because he'd finished doing that and he was like yeah so I sat down with my manager the other day we were talking about what do I do now what do I do and it wasn't like what job do I do it's like mm. well I'm in the like, the kind of the industry now but what's you know, yeah. after being a judge, where does a judge go next? You know, I, I went from the music industry to being a judge in a show. It's like, but what? Like, I don't even know what my skill set is. Like, I yeah. don't know what I provide. I don't know what I offer. And I was kind of like, what a ridiculous place to be in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now that's that's almost me right now. But um, yeah, I've got, I guess it's once again I'm just gonna have to trust my processes and get out there and sure. stage time, figure out what works, what doesn't work. Um, and the thing that I do find a little bit exciting is that there's sort of there's a whole kind of spectrum of positivity that I find very hard to address with Chopper okay um, but yeah the sort of Adam Hillsier end of comedy mm-hmm. if you know what I mean um, I mean a tiny glimpse of it from the show last night so did I end up doing a bit about the miniature horses yeah 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 it was lovely I loved it it was daft it was a really good fun yeah and so, and so part of me is like man I can almost bang out an hour of that and it's sort of yeah it is that thing am I, am I you know the guy who you know, tells it like it is and tells bigots to go and jam it and that's why they're wrong or am I the guy that you know 
pretends to be in a miniature farm, like running around like an idiot for an hour, or, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. And it, or, or is there a, a, an amazing way of being able to do everything without having to justify any of it? Sure. Know, so, the stuff that you say as Chopper about, um, you know, like oh, I'll do a lovely joke about a question mark looking like it's an exclamation mark and you've had to punch because it won't tell you the answer. Yeah, yeah. That's lovely. Or, you know, your stuff about the denim shortage. You know, it's just sort of observational stuff. I guess you just, it's about taking a position on something. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's actually one thing that uh, I mentioned before. My manager, when he used to sort of, you know, give a lot of really helpful feedback to shows and things like that, his, his sort of constant bit of feedback was never, ever feel neutral about anything. If Chopper loves something or if Chopper hates something, yeah, it'll probably end up working. Yeah. And you've just got to pick one, like a yeah. saucy here. Yeah, like, yeah. Do I hate it? Do I love it? And then pursue yeah. it, you know what I mean? But uh, never, yeah, never feel neutral about anything, you know. If, if someone offers you something incredibly mundane, just buy into it completely and pretend it's your favourite thing in the world and try and give it some energy and some buoyancy and, and yeah, vice versa, you know what I mean? So it's... It's going to be very interesting seeing what happens. Yeah, well, thanks for, thanks for letting me talk about this stuff. I usually find myself answering 17 questions about the real chopper and then sure. doing a few cheap gags and getting out of there. So it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, and it's one of those things as well where you kind of, it's like sort of almost having a debate. You kind of find yourself crystallizing your opinion sure. when you have to verbalize it and you have to order it and give it structure. So it's been almost like a, a nice little piece of professional therapy for me as well. That's music to my ears. <laughs> Heath Franklin, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So thanks to Heath for agreeing to that interview after I drunkenly accosted him at the Rhino Rooms with no real idea of what I was talking about. Uh, I think we got some really good stuff there. As I said, I'll try and get hold of some more character acts. That's something we've only just really started to tap into on the show. Um, But uh, that's all for now. Vote for the show at www.chortle.co.uk if you want to see plucky young Goldsmith take down the darlings of the establishment in all their finery. I really am a bit like Robin Hood in that respect, stealing as I do from... um yeah, we'll get your vote in, and let's see if I can't make E.G. Nish Kumar collect an award for me uh, whilst doing a speech which somehow implicates him in something awful. That would be ideal. Thanks to Heath. Uh, thanks, as ever, to Dan Melrose for the music, Graham Crockford for uh, support in mastering the show, and uh, I will speak to you very soon. Lots more uh, interviews from Adelaide and Melbourne and New Zealand to come in due course. Bye for now.